Welcome to the American Society of Pediatric Hematology Oncology podcast, known as the ASPOcast. This six-part series, The Road to Clinician Well-Being, will focus on various issues related to clinician wellness. Greetings to the ASPO community. This is Deborah Zabladil, and I am here today with the next installment of the ASPOcast series, The Road to Clinician Well-Being. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Mike Engel, who is a professor of pediatrics and division chief in pediatric hematology and oncology at the University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia. He also serves as vice chair of pediatric research at UVA as well. We're so happy to have you, Dr. Engel, and really looking forward to hearing your thoughts today on this really important topic. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Deborah. Really appreciate it. Well, we want you to really think about what we're talking about today as it relates to being a physician leader, which you are. Much of what we talk about when it comes to physician wellness seems to be related to the organization, the lead physicians, the culture, all of those things. There's a, there seems to be a lot of things mixed in that are outside of the individual. So we want to explore some of those topics today with you, but I'd love to start with just the first question being... Do you think today's physicians think more about their own wellness or think at all about their own wellness? Do you think that's changed at all over time? So it's a great question. First off, I'm old enough to have experienced a couple of different generations of medical providers, and and you do develop an appreciation for how people have viewed themselves in their physician and leader role over the course of decades. I do think that this is a conversation we're having more and more now. I do think people are thinking about wellness and even to a certain extent talking more deeply and in a more granular way about wellness, yet it's not completely clear to me that everyone is acting upon the outcomes of that dialogue. But I do think that there has been more and more of an appreciation, particularly among young people, regarding the integration of their personal life and their professional life and their family life. And they're striving to be whole people and not as monolithic as I felt like I needed to be as I was developing as a professional. So I do think it's great that we're having this conversation first off, that I hope that what happens through time is that the more we talk about it, the more we begin to operationalize it, both as individuals and as health systems. I love that you said work-life integration. You use the word integration. We used to talk about work-life balance, and I hear integration used so much more because, you know, maybe balance was just not really achievable, or it maybe it set an expectation that just couldn't be delivered on. Do you, do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, I, I do think that that's very fair. Just the whole terminology, work-life balance, it implies that there has to be some kind of equality between the two. And I don't necessarily think that that's true. And we may get to talk about this a little bit later, but I'll touch on it now. Everybody that I know in my life is slightly different. We share some common interests, common beliefs and core values, but we're all a little bit different in the way that we approach our life. We don't all necessarily agree on what that balance might be. For some people, 
working 90% of the time is what brings them great joy. And for others, it may be a different number, a different balance. So I really prefer the term integration because it allows for a sense of choice on the part of the individual to decide for themselves based on their own journey of self-discovery who they wish to be. Interesting. One of the questions I, that just sort of popped into my head while you were speaking is, do physicians now articulate the desire for work-life integration or wellness issues or wellness support as they're interviewing for jobs? So as a physician is going to potentially a new facility, is this something that's actually vocalized? Well, that's a really interesting question because I'm sure that you might imagine the answer to that question would be no, which says something about our American culture and our values as a society. What is it that we value when we enter the work space, the workplace? We value productivity. We value innovation. We value passion and interest and energy. And it would seem contrary to those values to talk about how you would like to be able to pursue your interest in horseback riding at the same time. I don't have an interest in horseback riding, just let me say that, but I don't have as, I don't have as much time to work on, on my hobby as I would like, but I can strive for that. So I might bring up my interests as a topic of discussion, but it probably won't take on a quantitative element like I want to spend this much time in my work and this much time in my hobbies and this much time with my family. It might come up just to talk about me as a multidimensional person, but I won't necessarily quantize that, not because I think there's anything wrong with it, but you know, some people may think that there actually is something wrong with it. And consequently, the person speaking might be afraid to mention it. And I think that's wrong. So interesting. And it will be interesting to see if that changes over time as it has in, in you know, corporate America. There's a lot of discussion about that as people are entering new jobs and applying is sort of what are all the benefits? I get a health club and I get daycare on site and I get all these things that contribute to both my wellness and my never leaving the office. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if medicine eventually gets there. We've all heard stories in our life about things that seem a little bit crazy in terms of promoting more and more productivity at work. I'll give up just a quick example. When I was a graduate student, I had learned about a laboratory in on the East Coast, I'll just say. A friend of mine was a graduate student in this lab. And one of the things that the principal investigator for the lab offered for people in his lab, he put cots, a washer and dryer, you could, if you wish to, live at their lab. You'd have to go out and do some grocery shopping, but you could live in the lab. And I always thought that was kind of peculiar, but for some people, maybe that's appealing to them. Who am I to say that my view of reality should be everyone else's? Sure, sure. So from an organizational standpoint, what can physician leaders do to assure that wellness is considered and how can those leaders urge physicians to engage in wellness practices? I know, I know a minute ago you were talking about there's more of an awareness and a discussion, but are they really engaging? I think historically, a lot of responsibility for individual wellness has been foisted upon the individual. 
you'll often hear people talk about resilience and you know like it's just one more quality that you as an already stressed out person need to have more of and if you don't have it you've somehow failed at yet another thing right it speaks directly to your sense of self the more we foist upon the individual for the responsibility for their own wellness without recognizing how the environment in which we find ourselves also influences our wellness we'll, we'll never get to a place of, mm -hmm. of wellness for all right right so i think the first thing that we can do as leaders is provide permission for people to be themselves it sounds so obvious right i mean how is it that we're happy in our lives i think we're happy because we spend our time engaged in activities that are as closely aligned with our core values as possible. The more that we act in a manner that's aligned with our beliefs, the more we're leading an authentic life and being true to ourselves. We're spending our time the way we wish to spend it. And there are practical concerns there, right? We have to work to be able to eat and be warm in the winter, but those are not the only things that sustain us. So the first thing that leaders can do is just create an environment where it's okay for you to be yourself, to express who you are openly, if you wish, and to have permission, really, to be a multidimensional person. What does that look like in practice? What would a physician leader actually do that would invite the medical cadre to feel like they were able to share or you know are you setting aside space is it something that's overtly told to them how does that work exactly you'd think it would be complicated but i actually don't think it's that complicated at all i think the first thing that you can do as a leader is get to know your people i mean get to know them as people not automatons get to know them for all of who they are when I first got here, I got some great advice before I took on this chief role here at UVA. The advice I was given by one of my own mentors was, don't do anything different for six months. Just be a listener. And so I made it a point of meeting with every single person that I had some influence over, a faculty member, staff, the people who check you in at clinic, our social workers, our psychologists, our clinical faculty, our researchers. I met with every single one of those people just to get to know them, to yeah. learn about their interests, their aspirations. For some people, that conversation transcended work interests and led really more into their personal life. We just kind of let the conversation go where it needed to go. Yeah. But that was probably the best thing that I did when I took on this job was get to know everyone and to discover really how wonderful each one of these people is and how different they are. Operationally, I think the first thing you do is you be a listener. And what you discover is that every person is like a thread of a different color, right? And it's your job as leader to identify the different colors and then to weave them into a tapestry that's beautiful and accomplishes its intended purpose while being beautiful. You could create a fabric of whole cloth where every thread is exactly the same, but it would be kind of boring and maybe it would do its job, but would it really be an enriching and fulfilling environment for everyone to live within? Probably not. 
So I think it's far more important for me as a leader and for leaders in general to know their people well and then to stitch them to, together to accomplish the mission of the institution. And as the institution's mission is accomplished, every person who lives within the institution benefits in multiple ways. They may benefit professionally, but they may also benefit in really personal ways. I'll speak to my own group um, just briefly and not to reveal too much about them personally, but as I mentioned before, these are all wonderful people. My, My faculty and staff are absolutely fantastic folks. And I so enjoy knowing them and really feel privileged to know them. And yet each one of them is a different person with a different set of beliefs and and aspirations, but they share some common things. And so as I'm going through my own listening tour, I'm listening for, well, what are the common threads? And then where are the differences? Because the spaces in between what we all are together and our individual differences, that's where we grow. That's how institutions become more than just a collection of people. They become something much richer and deeper because you actually allowed for people's individuality to be discovered and then uh, nurtured and operationalized. That's fantastic and that's a great analogy. It led me to think then how does it not all rest with you as a physician leader? How do you help members of your medical team rely on each other? How do they find either comfort or support in each other? Does that, does that need to happen naturally or do you think there's something that you can do to help that along? I think you can be very purposeful about that, but only because it provides a platform for people to to see at least a part of their own success embodied in the success of the people around them. One of the things I think every doc develops at some point in their career is humility. You know, I'm pretty smart. I, I went to great schools and was surrounded by lots of really smart people and picked up on a lot of things by osmosis and then some more things by hard work and discovery and accidents and all of that. But I don't know everything and I can't do everything, nor would I even want to try. I need my colleagues. I use that word very deliberately. I may be their leader, like on an org chart of some sort, but we're really peers and colleagues and I depend upon them. If our group was limited by what I know, we'd be a terrible group. We would not care well for patients because I can't know everything. Likewise, none of my colleagues can know everything either. We really depend upon one another and inherently the recognition of that need is grounded in humility. So being humble, recognizing and and frankly modeling for others, it's okay to admit and to even celebrate the fact that you have room to grow and to invite others to help you grow. In fact, when I sit down and have a conversation with someone, I like to think of that person in that moment as the most important person in my life. My job is to serve them. They're there for a moment and they're there for a reason And it's my job to try to figure out how can I help you solve your problem, celebrate a success, whatever that is. That person is the most important person in my life until they leave. And then it will be some other person who will be the most important person in my life. 
But the reason that that's important is because when you do that, you actually invite other people to be the same way towards you. And then they're elevating you. And then all of a sudden, a group of seven docs or 21 staff or whatever our number is, you're starting to get synergies out of that because people are mutually reinforcing each other's strengths. Mm -hmm. So how you are towards one another, living a, a sort of a servant leader life and modeling servant behaviors for other people is what allows you to all become more than the sum of your individual parts. As I'm listening to you, I can't help but think that you have such a coach and a mentor inside of you. And I wonder if you think that is common in physician leaders or if perhaps they need to do more of that, be more transparent in those conversations and, and really coach people along maybe more than they do, not just teach, but coach and mentor. That's really interesting. I actually think people in general like to be helpful to other people. We are a social species, right? And it's one of the reasons why I think COVID has been really traumatic for a lot of us is that we have these artificial separations going on in our life and we're not able to put our arms around our colleagues or our patients and families and celebrate their successes and celebrate their their joys and at the same time comfort in times of, of distress. I mean, we are inherently social. We wish to be positively impactful in the lives of those people that surround us. So I actually think it's a human nature kind of thing. And I do think that for the most part, at least the leaders that I've been exposed to and, and, and the great leaders that uh, I've been exposed to in my life, they all shared that feature of wanting to be supportive of the people that they led because That's they wonderful. recognized how important that was in their professional development. As a leader, really as a, as a doc, as a scientist, we're kind of walking through our life and we are influencing people along the way. And eventually, you know, my life is going to end, but I kind of want for the beliefs that I have to outlast me, right? So I try to understand myself well enough that I can live my beliefs because I, I think that they're good beliefs and are positive for the world such that even if I'm not around anymore, they'll still be being deployed to help our society. I think that's just human nature. You just mentioned knowing yourself. And I guess one of the questions that I would have for you is how important do you think self-awareness is when it comes to physician wellness? And, and do you see it in action or do you see sometimes people are sort of in denial about what's going on with them? And have you ever had to coach or mentor along wellness issues? The short answer is that I think that wellness and self-awareness are inexorably linked. It's very difficult for me to imagine that a person can be truly happy, truly fulfilled if they're leading an inauthentic life. So knowing yourself is really the first step. And frankly, it's your obligation as an individual. It's maybe your most important obligation in this pursuit of wellness for you to know who the heck you are, right? And who you're not. And so you asked if I've ever had to 
kind of intervene or advise along that path? And the short answer is yes. And I've even had to do it for myself. Mm. And I've had to have other people do it for me and model it for me in my own development. I'll tell a brief story about my former division chief in Utah, a wonderful man, Dick Lemons is his name. And I joined the University of Utah faculty as a physician scientist, junior faculty member. And, you know, really my job was to get my research program up and running and to do a little bit of clinical medicine and try to focus on those things first. But I have all these other interests too. Like I really love being involved in teaching and, and mentoring and modeling professionalism for young folks so that they can start to decide what parameters they're going to use to, to make their own choices. So I really enjoy the educational space and the mentoring space. And that led very organically to lots of opportunities in Utah. And I took advantage of several of them. And it wasn't long before I found myself pretty much overwhelmed by everything that I had volunteered myself to do. <laughs> I wasn't voluntold. This was my fault. And I needed Dick to sit me down and basically say, I know that you're interested in this one thing, but let's set that aside for a little while so that you can focus on these other determinants of your, of your success, right? Focus on these things for a while. It doesn't mean that you won't get to do these other things. You just don't do them now, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. and I, so I learned from that. So he was very gracious and sort of dialed me out of the clinical services for a while so that I could focus on grant writing and, and papers and getting those aspects of my career really established. And that was a service for me. He taught me something really important in that moment. I, I'll always remember the conversation because it was simultaneously wonderful and uncomfortable right? Who wants to be told that they shouldn't do something because they have limits? Ugh, that's terrible. But he did a great service for me because he taught me that my career can breathe. I don't have to be all things to all people at all times. I can let some things expand for a while and other things contract. And I can achieve the same degree of fulfillment if I allow myself to align the way I spend my time with what I need to be doing and what I wish to be doing. With that long distance, this is what I want to be in the end. I can see where I'm headed with some clarity. And as long as I don't have too many distractions, then I, I can achieve those things. And when I do, then I can start to open up other parts of my life. So your career has multiple dimensions. And it's like, you know, it's like an accordion. It can open and close in different parts and allow you to be all the things that you wish to be throughout the course of a career. A mm -hmm. career is long. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do everything all at once. I, I love the quote that you just said that you can allow your career to breathe. That's a really interesting notion. And it seems like great advice. How much of the wellness piece, you know, you're talking about sort of the expectations people put on themselves. And for the most part, physicians are going to be fairly high achievers. They're probably not used to failing. They've been A students. They've gotten into medical school, et cetera. There's this balance between what the individual can do for themselves and what the organization sort of allows for or encourages. How much do you think that people are perceiving 
that they potentially can't be themselves, bring, be their true authentic selves, or that they need to do so much more than they need to do to actually be successful? Do you think that there's just this, this gulf between really what the organization is thinking and, and expecting and what people are putting on themselves? Well, I think it depends a lot on what your job is. I do think that people can often be their own worst enemy. We see ourselves often in really distorted ways. And sometimes the way that we see ourselves can get in the way of a positive sense of self-regard. And type A type people who tend to be in these big academic health centers, they're at tremendous risk for that actually, because even though you may be doing great, oh, you can always do more, you can always do better, even if no one's asking you. We are inherently strivers as docs. I hate to generalize, but I think for the most part, that's true. People have been successful because they've worked hard. And that's like a drug to a certain extent, right? The positive strokes that come from achievement are really important in our life. But so too is the sense of peace and joy that you get from having become who you wish to be. I think it's important to allow yourself to be happy with who you are in the moment rather than who you will be tomorrow because of your striving. So I think this is one of those places where leaders can really be helpful, where again, sitting people down and just having a dialogue with them about encouraging their journey of self-discovery, learning to be honest with themselves, learning to not be threatened if they feel like their authentic self is not necessarily aligned with someone else's expectations. I think a lot of what we're all trying to do as we go through our life is to have who we are aligned with what we do, right? The way, again, the way we spend our time should be aligned with our core values as much as humanly possible. And I really think that success and happiness stem from that. And in fact, I think they share that same definition that you are happy and successful when you spend time engaged in the things that bring you joy. My success, my sense of personal success can be fundamentally different from what one of my colleagues thinks is success for them. Does that make either one of us any less or any more successful? No. It just means that we've allowed ourselves to be honest about what success and happiness are for us and then to doggedly go after attaining it. We have time for just a couple more quick questions, but I wanted, I wanted just to ask you how you think leaders should be acting or modeling well-being. How can you, for any of the, the folks out there that are physician leaders and lead medical teams, how can they best model what they would like others to do with respect to well-being? It sounds kind of trite and simple, but it's to see in yourself that which you wish to see in the people you lead. If you want for the people around you to be well, and you should, there's a ton of data to suggest that well providers, that well staff are more productive and that they are more efficient and they help your health system that much more. Every dollar that you spend on a wellness program returns $3 in revenue, I guess would be the right word, or maybe opportunity cost, because these people who are feeling well are more productive in the moment. They are 
present at work. They are motivated and innovated because their mind isn't experiencing the mental stenosis of stress that keeps us from thinking clearly and creatively. They are absent less. They are ill less. And all of these are things that lead to a more effective and productive and ultimately functioning and service-oriented health system for a community. So if you as a leader wish for your people to be well, try to be well yourself and be honest when you're not. None of us are gonna be well all the time perfectly. And in fact, there's some data that suggests that if you're just able to feel a sense of control and fulfillment over the way that you spend your time, just 20% of the time out of 100% of your life, you are very likely to be a high functioning and productive member of a staff. So it doesn't take much actually for leaders to invite their people to be themselves and thereby feel a sense of peace and joy that enables them to be productive members of their staff, right? So model it by being it. Absolutely. So as we conclude, the big topic of conversation, of course, this entire year has been COVID, and that does not contribute to a physician's well-being when they're doubly stressed and, frankly, worried about their patients, worried about their own families, worried about their own exposure, not connecting with colleagues. But you said something interesting when we were discussing this before the podcast, and you were talking about that we have to kind of find our place in the world alongside some of these diseases. And you said it better than I just did. So would you expand on that a little bit for our listeners? As I mentioned before, I, I think COVID's going to teach us a lot. We have as a society generally been willing to accept certain risks just to be members of a society. We've lived with respiratory viruses for a long time. You know, parainfluenza is a thing every year. Influenza is a thing every year. Enterovirus is a thing every year. We accept these risks because we wish to be a part of a social society. We wish to be connected with one another. We, we really yearn for touch and for emotional expression and sharing. We really yearn for these things. And here we are in COVID where most all of those things are gone for the time being. We're interacting through screens rather than through touch. We are sheltered in place. We are not able to gather in groups to experience our hobbies and our passions. So much of our existence is really solitary right now. And that's necessary because of the risks that we all face from a new virus. But at the same time, we're going to emerge from this. And when we do, I think we're going to have to start making some choices about how much risk we as individuals and as groups are willing to take to be able to be a social being in the new world that we'll all walk out into. My personal belief is I'd rather not live my life behind a mask, but I recognize that some other people might. I like being around people. I like interacting with people. I like sharing the you know, common interests and joys. These are all things that bring me personally a sense of fulfillment. 
And I want to be able to live in a society that allows me to be able to do that. I imagine that there are other people out there who yearn for the same things and that there are a whole bunch of other people who strike a different balance. And so discovering who we are as a people and living life as a social society in the context of respiratory virus is going to be a really, really interesting experiment for humanity, I think. Absolutely. Well, you're giving us something to really think about as we end this podcast today. And I really would like to thank you for being a guest on the AspoCast. This has been a really terrific conversation. Thank you for your insights. I'm sure it was very helpful to the community out there. And um, again, this has been Dr. Mike Engel with UVA in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thank you so much, Dr. Engel, for your time today. Thank you, Deborah. I really had a great time. This was really wonderful. This has been another installment of ASPOCAST, The Road to Clinician Well-Being. To get more information on the American Society of Pediatric Hematology Oncology, please visit www.aspo.org. In addition to this podcast series, the most recent webinar on physician wellness can be found on the website under the Knowledge Center tab.